Okay, we are, this is my personality now, tripping over wires. We are um, looking at a little series um, sort of leading up to the Christmas season on people who serve, uh, and particularly those stories within the book of Acts that we can see little snippets of people doing different things. And we've done series on Acts before in the past. It's a, an amazing book uh, all about the birth of the, the, new, the church uh, after Jesus has resurrected. And we see this amazing explosion of, 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 of the gospel message going out and how the early church was birthed. And in amongst that, we come across several characters and we've been picking out one or two. We're not necessarily going through chronologically through the book. Um, but this story of Philip does appear towards the beginning of the story of Acts. We're going to be prim primarily in Acts chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, then um, have those open. We'll be on the, the screen as well. Now, just to, to start off with, um, often we have a conversation in our house that will go along something along the lines of uh, this. Do you know what? When I was growing up, this is how we used to do whatever it was. Now, you probably have had something similar in your house, whether it was, whether you as a child, your parents saying to you, actually, in our day, it was like this, and this is how we did it. Why aren't you doing it like that? Or perhaps if you're a parent, you've said it to your own kids. And, and I will still have these little conversations and saying, do you know what? In my day, when the sun was shining, we'd be outside playing on our bikes, kicking a football around, going down, well, if we didn't live near the beach, but if you know, we were living here, we'd be going down to the beach. Why is it that you just look out the window and it's this beautiful day and you want to play on your phones or you want to play on a machine? I said, yeah, but dad, you didn't have Xbox in your day. And if you had had Xbox in your day, you'd have done the same as us. Uh, do you have these sort of conversations? The forerunners sort of seem to show us a way to live and then want to pass it on to those who are coming behind. Well, at the, in the book of Acts, at chapter 8, we sort of have a part two coming into the book. Part one is Acts chapters 1 to 7, which is really about Jesus' resurrection and the birth of the church. And then as we come through the story of Acts, we get to... Acts 8, and we start to move from the local focus around Jerusalem, and we start to see the story spread. And the point is that in 1 to 7, we see the DNA of what it means to preach the gospel. And as we move into part 2 of the book of Acts, we see the DNA is to be repeated. What's gone before should now be replicated, not necessarily just here in Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. And so as we come to this passage, it's the fulfillment of the very thing that Jesus said would happen. That often happens with Jesus. He tends to say things, they do tend to come true. But particularly in this context of the book of Acts, remember the verse, I'm sure you will have heard it before, when Jesus is talking to his disciples right at the beginning of the, the book, uh, before he ascends to heaven, and he says this to them, but you, disciples, that's who he's talking to, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, firstly in Jerusalem, and then all Judea, to Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. The gospel is to come to you, 
The Holy Spirit is on you. And then it's going to go, and it's going to go, and it's going to go. And as believers, we need to hear the heart that Jesus had, that we are always to be a going people. We're always to be a going people, whether it be going to our town, whether it be going to the ends of the earth. And I believe this morning God's going to start speaking again to us about past dreams, about past prophetic words that he has spoken to us about being a going people. And I want to stir you again to hear God afresh. For what does it mean for me this morning to be a going believer? What does it look like? The story of Philip will remind us that he was willing to go. He went physically, but also, I believe, in his heart, he was willing to go. There was nothing special about Philip. He was um, a deacon. He was one of the first deacons appointed. And he's there just to do his bit. He's just serving. He's getting along with his job. And yet God raises him up and sends him out. And I believe the success that Philip saw was because of three things. He knew his authority, his authority that Jesus had said to him, you are going to be, as he said to all the disciples, you are going to be my witnesses to the world. We need to know the authority that God has given you. I need to know my authority that God's given me. And he's given each one of us who know him authority. You know, when you have authority, you can go into places that others can't go. When I used to uh, work for Dorset Police, um, as a building sir, not as a police officer, I had authority to go into every police station in Dorset. Not many police officers had that authority. I was given that authority. And we have, uh, well, we have, talking as if present tense, we used to have, and I'm sure it's still in existence, an electronic tag that as we went into a police station, we put it on the door and it would open the lock for us to go in. It wasn't on the prison cells, just to say, but it was on the front doors or the back doors as we used to go in. And my tag had been programmed to give me authority to enter into that building. And I had pretty much authority to go in every, well, I had every site, but there were just a few places that I wasn't allowed to go in because there were special scenes of crime, places where I could contaminate evidence and all that sort of stuff. I wasn't allowed in there. But the authority we have that Jesus given, we have authority to see amazing things do. So as we've been praying this morning, authority to see the sick healed. He's given us that authority to pray not, not prayers of, I hope you do something, Lord, but no, 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 robust. God, we believe that you can heal, and therefore, in Jesus' name, we pray. And so we come with great authority. Philip had amazing authority. He worked with the Holy Spirit. He was a man who was open to the Spirit coming. It must be always people that need to, you know, as Bob shared his story, he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, Come on, I want you to go and see your sister. I want you to be open. Do you know what? I love programs. I love strategy. I love all that stuff. I love to be organized. But if we miss what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and that's why we're always encouraging you, keep sharing. Keep, and I would just encourage us. It's great to have testimony. It does us good. But we need to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. 
right? So just as a church, let's keep pressing into Holy Spirit, I believe you're saying this to us this morning. That's what we need to hear. And thirdly, Philip was ready to share the gospel. He was willing to go out of his comfort zone and open his mouth or demonstrate through his actions the amazing gospel. Knows his authority, knows the Holy Spirit's with him, and is ready to share. He was an ordinary believer just like us. He was ordinary. Kenneth Lortet, in his History of the Expansion of Christianity, which I'm sure we've all read, he says this, The chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it their profession. So we aren't professional gospel takers. Mick is not more professional than the rest of us. But we are men and women who are carry, who carry on our livelihoods in some purely secular manner and somehow speak faith to those that we meet in a very natural fashion. That's a bit wordy, but basically we live our lives and we proclaim Jesus. Uh, that, that's the nuts and bolts of it. You go about your daily business and wherever you are, you sow seeds for the kingdom. You sow seeds for the kingdom. You sow seeds for the kingdom. It's not a, an order from the front line as happened in the World War One scenario where the generals say, okay, guys, over you go. Go and do it. We'll sit in our nice offices and let you fight out on the, in the trenches. No, no, we are all called to this mission. And through us, we scatter. How many people do we know? How many places do we go where we are able to scatter the seeds of the gospel? It's like this uh, lily field question. I know some of you probably like puzzles. Let me just read this to you. There are two lilies in five square miles of water. Okay, got that? Each lily reproduces every day so that on day two, there are four lilies. On day three, there are eight lilies and so on. The lilies take four months to cover two and a half square miles of water. How many more days will it take them to cover the rest of the lake? Who said that? One. Half the lake has been covered because it's been doubling up every day. It's, only, it's taken four months to get to that point, but it's only going to take one more day to cover the whole of the lake. See, as gospel sharers, we should be like lilies on the lake, reproducing, 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 reproducing. We need to be a re reproducing people. So let's have a, have a look into Acts 8 and uh, see how we can be whoops, reproducing lilies. I just would say that if you're a church member, don't leave it to the leaders to reproduce. If you're a leader, don't leave it to the church members to reproduce. We are all reproducing. We're going to start at chapter 8, then we're going to just dive back into chapter 7. But let's just read uh, chapter 8, first few verses. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. So his death here is talking about Stephen, 
who Mick talk about, uh, spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Saul is watching in on what's been happening. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw his miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, and evils, uh, with shrieks evil spirits came out of many, and many para paralytics and cripples were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. So the context for Philip going was that Saul was persecuting the church. Saul, if you know, became Apostle Paul. But at this point, Saul has not had his encounter with the risen Jesus. And he is going about systematically persecuting those of faith. And this is the pivotal point of going into chapter 8. Something is about to happen because of this moment. And Saul is leading this charge. He's seeing what's going on. He's seeing that the seeds, the lilies are replicating, and he's going to do everything he can to stop the charge. He's heard, I'm sure, Stephen's uh, preach. He's heard Stephen. Do you remember how, how at the end of Stephen's life he prayed? And I'm sure Saul heard his prayer. And he's seen now Stephen die. Stephen who was stoned to death. I don't know whether you covered about how people were stoned, but, it, but as I understand it, they generally try to push the person off a cliff initially in the hope that they died. And if they didn't die from their fall, they literally threw stones at them until they passed away. This was a moment, a pivotal moment in the history of the church. And through this, Saul is watching in and he's persecuting people. You know, often tragedy will come to churches that it feels like, gee, we're going to get broken by this. I think even Jemima's heartfelt prayer last week is, Lord, we cannot stand this anymore. You know, it comes out of the, it's, it's not a, it's a heart-wrenching prayer. So, Lord, not standing for this anymore. You ever felt that in your walk with God? It's just you, you tolerate stuff for a while. And so, Lord, we're going to stand against this. We cannot continue. And I feel just at this moment, when what, what appears to be tragedy, you know, Jesus said that you're going to be my witnesses. And Stephen is martyred. But God's plan was to scatter the seed further and further. Often see when wildfires take place and they're trying to put out a fire in a forest. We've done it. We've done it. Even last year, do you remember out on Lodmore, there was a fire here in Weymouth in the middle of this, no, not this summer, wasn't it? And it's just like, 
and they sort of put out the fire, but they had to do this watching brief. Is, is the fire going to suddenly bubble up somewhere else? It's like that with the gospel is that, you know, you can try and stamp it out here, but it's going to rise up elsewhere. And so the church gets scattered, thousands of people. Remember leading up into this, we hear thousands are coming to faith every day. And thousands, therefore, are scattered. Not everyone went, but many went. Everyday believers, just like you and me. The apostles we see in, in verse 1, they stay in Jerusalem. But many of the believers go out into Judea and Samaria. And Saul is causing havoc. He's arresting people. He's putting them in prison. But as they are scattered, the gospel is preached. What does that mean? What does it mean to preach the gospel, to evangelize? The word evangelize itself basically means to proclaim good news. Proclaiming good news. That's what it means to be evangelistic is we're proclaiming good news. What's our good news? Our good news is that Jesus has died for everyone and that through him life can come. That's the good news. That's what they were proclaiming. Have you heard what Jesus has done for me? Have you? He's taken all my sin. I'm no longer in debt. That was the good news that they were sharing. Wherever they went, they shared the gospel. See, the whole church is to share the whole gospel, where? To the whole world. The whole church is to share the whole gospel to the whole world. Every one of us who's in the church has a responsibility to share the gospel, the whole gospel, to the whole world. It's not just for some. It's not just for those who are special, but all of us are called to share the gospel. But for some, it will mean, like it was for Philip, that God's called me to a nation, to a people group. It may be that God's spoken to you about foreign nationals, maybe even in Weymouth, Bangladeshi, Chinese, whatever the nation may be, that God's laid on your heart. I want to reach out to those people. God's spoken, I know, to many people in this room about one day being in another nation. I just want to remind us all that he hasn't forgotten those words that he spoke over you. And that maybe today is just another, do you know what, God? I'm going to take another step towards fulfilling what you've said to me. The church was scattered. And just like scattering the seed, you remember when Russell was with us a few weeks ago after he'd done the evangelism training, he was speaking on the Sunday morning and he was talking about the parable where Jesus is talking about the farmer who sows the seed. Uh, if you can imagine what they used to do, they had, used to have lots of like long robes and uh, they would pull their robe up, not to reveal their dignity, but sufficiently high that they could put seed into their robe and then they would just get handfuls of the seed and they would scatter. Wherever they went, they would be ready. I'm scattering, I'm scattering, I'm scattering. That's what he's called us to be. People who scatter. Wherever I go, when I'm in my workplace, I want to scatter seed. We've had some bumpy moments in, in work. And, and I just said to a couple of my colleagues, I feel that I can help. I, I'm trying not to put it in religious talk so they don't think I'm a complete nutter. <laughs> but I feel I can help. And I feel like God's just giving me a sort of almost like a pastoring role to those around me. 
just caring for them, listening and helping and supporting and encouraging. And what am I doing? I'm just scattering seed. Just scattering seed that God will somehow use that. In my neighborhood, I know Catherine's brilliant at just going around speaking with our neighbors, having coffee with them, just catching up with them, spent hours with our lady across the road who's now passed away, just scattering seed. Wherever I'm going, just want to scatter seed, scatter seed. And somehow some of that will take hold. We need to be a church that are just scattering seed wherever we go. Yesterday, I was, I was with Andrew and Rachel in the lanes. We were just praying. We are just like praying for our town, praying around businesses, praying around seeing breakout in our community. As we pray, we still want to scatter seed wherever we go. Are you a seed scatterer? I'll say it. Are you a seed scatterer? Persecution will come. Now, persecution for us probably will look very different to what it looked like for these guys. We may, could be arrested, but unlikely to be arrested. But when I went to Zimbabwe on my first trip, it was right in the height when Robert Mugabe was um, uh, going through his sort of ethnic cleansing of the white farms and, and, and so on. And uh, they, the guys took me to uh, some areas that were just incredibly deprived. And, um, and I was just, I was chatting to them. I said, how do you run church? And, you know, it's, it's just like, I, don't, I can't, can't imagine what it must be to live in this constant battle of tyranny and, and, and just the things that we take for granted that when we turn the tap on, there'll be water coming out. We turn the light switch on, there'll be electrical power. And just they're battling daily with this stuff. And I, and I was speaking to Scott, Scott Marks, and I just said, Scott, how do you keep being so full of joy? If you've met any Zimbabwean people, they just always seem to be really joyful people. I said, how do you do it? He says, Steve, do you know what? It is bad, but it's been great for the gospel. We've seen more people come to know Jesus through this season than we've ever seen before. And it's like when persecution comes, the gospel flourishes. When we are in the sense of luxury and there's no pressure and life is good, I think the gospel just gets dumbed down, doesn't it? Why do I need God? I've got everything I need. But actually, under persecution, the gospel gets spread. And that's what was happening in here. Now, there are three greats in this little passage. Uh, in the NRV, it doesn't quite pick up on it. It certainly gets two greats, but uh, there, are, there is a third great. In verse one, we see there is a great persecution going on. This is not a small thing. This is a great persecution that's going on. And then in verse 2, in the, in the King James Version, it talks about a great lamentation. In, our, in the NIV, it talks about uh, just being, uh, uh, let's just read it, uh, godly people buried and mourned deeply for him. There's great persecution, a great sense of loss over Stephen's death. But what is the result that we see in verse 8? That great joy came to the city. Great persecution, great mourning, but it results in great joy coming. Was it Natalie said this morning, just in her testimony? Where's Natalie? Just in that sense of, it was, in your paraphrase of your words, it was, when I came to know you guys and came to know Jesus, it, sort of, it made all the difference. Even though it was great trial, great difficulty, knowing Jesus 
brought a sense of great joy. See, that's what Jesus does. He takes our persecution, he takes our difficulties, and he brings great joy. We see Philip as he serves and as he preaches. I imagine that he was, when he originally was called to be a deacon and they were called to serve on tables, he was just doing his thing. He's just going about his daily work. He was brushing the church floor. He was making the coffee. He was doing the washing up. He was cleaning the toilets. He was just doing what he'd been called to do. And I just say to all of us, don't ever despise the small things. So as you are faithful, I love it when I just see people who I know are not on the rotor, who just go about doing things, you know, just tidying up, put the chairs straight, help cleaning up. Just, you just go on and do it. Not because you've been asked to, not because you've been told that the rotor demands it of you, but I'm just willing to, you know, I'll just give an extra 10 minutes here before I go. I'll help. Don't ever despise those small things of, uh, you know, God sees them. And I think as we serve faithfully in the little, as we just honour him in those things that perhaps many of us don't even see, and there's probably lots of stuff I don't see that you, you guys do, God sees those things. He'll honour you for how you faithfully just served. And I feel, Philip, he just, he just got on and did what he was doing. And God raised him up to be this amazing proclaimer of the good news. Do you know what? Philip is the only one in the Bible that is called an evangelist. Interestingly, uh, but he did it well. And so he goes into Samaria. Samaria uh, is a difficult area to go and preach the gospel. Uh, if you know anything of, sort of the Old Testament history, uh, the area of Samaria, which is now sort of roughly the West Bank, if you know modern day Israel, uh, Samaria was an area where the Assyrians in the Old Testament first came and took the land back from God's people. And over the course of time, uh, Jews sort of mixed with Gentiles. And, and in our terminology, it's almost like half-breeds were put together. It was that sort of mindset. And so when we get to the New Testament, we, the Jews hated Samaria as a place. They didn't like the people because there's been all this sort of inter-race mixing going on. Uh, but that's where Jesus said, actually, that's where you're going to go first. You remember the story when Jesus is coming through Samaria and he meets the woman at the well? You remember that story from John 4? And uh, the disciples go off into town to have something to eat. But Jesus is he's, he's transfixed by this lady who's come to get water. And she's a Samaritan. Jesus, obviously a Jew. And so he starts this dialogue with this lady that nobody else wanted to have a conversation with. And as we see Jesus talking to, in these opening sort of statements to this lady, she, she's like taken aback. She recognizes Jesus as a Jew. And she says this to him, says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She was just like, who are you? Why are you talking to me? But Jesus' compassion for this lady it's like there is no sort of racial boundaries. There's no ethnic boundaries where the gospel can't be spread. And so as Philip's going off into Samaria, he's going into a land where historically they weren't conversing with those people. And as we hear the gospel, we must never just think it's for white, middle-class English people. 
which can be our tendencies. I'm going to go to the people that I feel familiar with, people actually I relate well to. But the gospel is for all. It's the whole church preaching the whole gospel to the whole world. And we're going to need to take this gospel message to people who look really different to us, really different to us. People who will perhaps you just would never speak to because they are so different. I was walking back through town last night. I um, had met with up with an old work colleague who was back in uh, back in town. And as I'm walking back through Weymouth, it wasn't that late. It was only about half past six. Um, this group of teenage girls were standing at a bus stop. And I was just motoring down the Esplanade as, as you do. And literally this girl, as I walked past this group, yells in my ear. Absolutely yells in my ear. And I, I was a bit startled by it. And um, she said an expletive towards me. And I just, just turned around and I just smiled at her. I said, I'm not going to react. I had to get home. I didn't, I didn't have any conversation. But at any moment, there is a time when we can be put in a situation where we still want to be model, seed-throwing, gospel-preaching, gospel-loving. This teenage group of girls look very different to my world. And yet I still wanted to show something of love towards them, even though they were trying to make fun of me in that moment. We need to be people like Philip that were willing to reach out. And you know what? As we reach out, what will happen? Great joy will come. Great joy will come. Let's move on into the story. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I know time's running away. Verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and had amazed all the people of Samaria. So this guy was a guy of influence. His name's Simon. We'll find out in a minute. He was a man that was doing magical stuff, and people were keeping their eyes on him. He was well known. He had boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as great, as a great power. Sounds like Darth Vader. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. So this man has influence in the city. But when they believed Philip, so Philip's, Simon's doing his thing, Philip's preaching the gospel. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon hears Philip. That's what we sort of understand in this text at this point. Somehow, Simon has heard what Philip's been doing. And Simon himself believes and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by great signs and the miracles he saw. So the initial bit is good. Philip's been doing his thing. Simon's been doing his thing. Philip preaches the gospel. Simon comes to faith, and he's transformed. And he, he just is bowled over by this amazing gospel. And he has influence. 
people of influence. We need to pray for those who are in faith in influential places. Now, when the apostles, who of course are back at HQ in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria, this place that nobody goes to or talks about, had accepted the word of God, they sent who? Peter and John. Now, Peter and John, remember Peter and John? They'd just been lifting lame men and dancing and leaping in joy and all that stuff. Peter and John are sent to go and find out what's going on. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So what's happening? As the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is at work. All right. The Holy Spirit is at work in everybody's life, bringing them to a point of taking a step of faith. As Bob was praying this morning, I don't know whether you picked it up. As he, as he prayed, he says, God, I just thank you so much that you chose me and I didn't choose you. What Bob was saying is that the Holy Spirit was at work in me, getting me to a point where faith would come. And the gift of faith is a gift. It doesn't just come out of great thinking. A gift of faith would come that I could take this step and believe. Now, when we take that step, certainly in my case, when I took that step, I thought, do you know, I've made a wise choice here. I've heard the gospel presented. I knew something was happening in my heart. I'm going to make the decision. But as I've got to know Jesus, I realized that actually God was already at work in me through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in all the people we encounter. He's at work. We can't see what he's doing. We can't package it up. But believe me, the Holy Spirit is at work in ways that we don't see. Now, these guys obviously had the Holy Spirit in them because they had come to faith. There was something he had been doing that enabled them to respond. But what I believe Peter and John are saying is, right, we want now to see you baptized fully in the Holy Spirit and all the gifts and everything that the Holy Spirit brings to, the Holy Spirit brings to us when we come to faith. And so they prayed. They've been baptized in water, but they now prayed, Holy Spirit, would you now fulfill everything in these people? And as they pray, things start to happen. Things start to happen in the spirit. As we pray, as we gather, as we come together, particularly in this context, but in our connect groups or when you're in one-to-ones, always be looking, what's the Holy Spirit wanting to do here? What are you saying to us? What are you opening up for us? And here the Holy Spirit wanted to, to work. And so when Simon saw this, verse 18, that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, this is where Simon goes a bit wonky. He offers money. He says, actually, I like what you're doing. Can, can I offer you money so I can do the same? And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me 
so that nothing you have said will happen to me. Do you know, when we come to faith, we still battle with our past. Do you know, even 30, I don't know how many years it is now, several uh, years, still battle. There's still battles in all of us that we need to keep coming back to him. So God, would you come and forgive me of my bad attitude, my wrong thinking, thoughts in my mind, whatever it is. I just believe that God is so gracious to us. You know, as the gospel comes, when believers become believers, do you know, they're not going to be sorted out on day one. On day whatever I'm on, I'm still being sorted out, sanctified by his spirit, being helped not to become bitter, not to become judgmental, not to become angry, not to be whatever it might be. Holy Spirit still wants to work in us. Gospel preach, preach, people come to faith, it's going to look messy. If we had a room full of new believers in here, it would be messy. It would be not like we like it, nice and neat and tidy, or everybody's sitting quietly in rows and listening and paying attention. New believers, they ask questions that are awkward and difficult and I haven't got answers to. New believers make you think about your own faith. You say, oh, I've never considered that. Actually, that challenges me. You sit in an alpha group when you're asking people asking questions. You think, gosh, I haven't, I haven't even wrestled with that one. New believers make messy church. But I'd much rather messy church than nice, neat rows. I want to see this room messy in, in the spirit. I want to see new life. I want to see people coming in with all their issues. Old, young, drunk, drugs, whatever it is. Broken relationship, financial debt, health. There is just a whole myriad of people in our town. I love to see a room of messy new believers. And I believe that's what we need to keep praying for as we scatter seed. Finally, when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. And what do they do? They don't just go back to HQ and do a little report. I'm sure they did all that. But as they travel, they continue to preach the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now, we haven't got time to get into the next little bit of Acts 8 on Philip when he meets the Ethiopian eunuch and opens the scriptures to him. It's an amazing moment of, of, of revelation that he just like from the beginning, it says he just took him, took him through the scriptures, explaining everything that Jesus had done. And then the uh, Ethiopian eunuch heads back home. He says, as we go, we share the gospel. Wherever we go, we go share the gospel. Wherever we're doing, we share the gospel. And I believe there are, as I said earlier, I believe there are people in this, this morning that need to come back afresh to what it means to be a seed sower. And I think particularly, I felt there were just three things, three areas that I'd like us to pray. And I want us to do that uh, before, before we finish. As believers, we're called in three ways, upward to worship God, inward to encourage one another, outward to take the gospel. That's on all of us as believers. We come to God firstly, we help each other, we evangelize the world. But I wanted us to pray particularly for three groups of people. One group will include every one of us, I believe. Firstly is to pray for those who feel a call to the nations. That do you know what? The seed came and has been planted and you have 
a people group on your heart. And that may be a people group that is a physical going, that one day I believe God's going to take me to a nation. Or it may be a people group that maybe within our own town that you know God has spoken to you about. And I want us to pray that the door would be open for that gospel message to go through you. Second group of people is I want to pray just as Peter and John prayed for the baptism of the Spirit. So as believers, we need to keep coming back to him. Now, maybe someone here has never been prayed for. Lord, I just want to receive all you have for me in terms of the Spirit. Just as Peter and John prayed, something happened. They were already believers, but something happened when they laid hands on. I want to pray for the baptism of the Spirit. And thirdly, I want to pray for us all, that the whole church will take the whole gospel to the whole world. So that's all of us, all right? So that's what we're going to do.